Welcome to Mind Matters Perspectives, and I'm your host, Sneha. Perspectives is about bringing you conversations from individuals around the world, sharing their stories and experiences of life. We're trying to create a space to have the necessary but sometimes hard conversations on mental health, community, life, and everything in between. Conversation and information are an integral part of our lives and our growth. And with that very same hope, incredible people from all over the globe are sharing their perspective with you. Please know that sometimes these discussions get intense and we touch on topics like depression, anxiety, self-harm, abuse, and more. So if any of these topics can trigger you, please take care while listening. Listen with a friend or someone you trust. If this environment is not immediately available to you, I request to wait till you're in a better state of mind and a safer space. Also know we are not professionals giving out any medical opinions, but individuals sharing our perspective and our stories. If you need any professional help, please seek the same. This podcast is not a substitute for professional help. Thank you and take care. And without any more further delay, let's get into today's chat. Really excited for today's conversation. I'm incredibly honored that Katarina Rivera has said yes to join me today. Um, Katarina, would you like to introduce yourself a little before we really get into our discussion? Sure. So I'm Katarina Rivera. I'm a disabled Latina. I'm a public speaker and DEI consultant, and I focus on disability inclusion in the workplace. One of my missions is to make sure that everyone knows that disability is a part of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and needs to be part of it. So that's part of my message, what I share with companies. And then what the other thing that I do is share my personal journey with disability identity on Instagram and LinkedIn, talking about what it's like to be hard of caring and have a vision disability, to have only 5% of my vision. And that's really important to me as well, the storytelling and the advocacy that I do on those platforms. So thank you for having me today. Thank you for saying yes. It was really important for Mind Matters to have a space to represent all experiences of the of humankind. And it was really important that we didn't tell a story that we didn't live, but give the sort of the pass the microphone to someone who has and want them to share their experience. So I really appreciate you coming on and talking about it all. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> Um, so to start us off, would you tell us a little bit about your own journey? Yes. Um, I was born disabled. When I was three or four years old, my parents started noticing that I wasn't responding to them when they would call my name. That's when they started to think that something might be going on with my hearing. I got a hearing test and it was confirmed. I had moderate to severe hearing loss. At that time, it was the late 80s, and the prevailing methodology was for all the kids to be pushed into oral language only. I was not exposed to deaf culture. I was not taught ASL or exposed to American Sign Language at all. I was fitted with hearing aids. I went to special education for one year. And then after that, I was mainstreamed and I continued to receive speech therapy for many years in my schooling. As a 
young kid, I adjusted very well to wearing hearing aids. I don't remember too many difficulties within my childhood. And I know that I adapted in the classroom. I know that I was reading lips and I was sitting closer to the instructor. But I also didn't have a ton of connection to disability identity when I was growing up. My life changed again when I was 17. At 17, I was at a high point in my life right after I graduated high school. I was celebrating that. I had received a scholarship to Duke University. I was celebrating that. I was very excited about going away to school. And I had just earned my black belt in Tang Sudo. And that was very exciting as well. That summer before I left for Duke, I was at karate camp with all my classmates and friends from my karate school. And it was evening, it was dark outside. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hold on one moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, edit that moment out. <laughs> okay, I got my water. So it was evening, it was dark outside, and all of my friends decided to play a prank on one of the instructors. I was at the back of the group and I remember everybody went outside, went down two steps, went around the corner and they were running to his window. When I got outside, I stopped because I couldn't see anything. And I noticed there was a huge difference between my vision and theirs because it was very easy for them to step outside and go down the steps and run around. But that was actually night blindness and that was my first sign of it. I had never noticed it before. So it was very scary. And what happened after that is that we went to an eye center and I got diagnosed with Usher syndrome. And Usher syndrome is a combination of vision and hearing disabilities. There are three different types and it is the most common genetic cause of combined deafness and blindness worldwide. Over 400,000 people have Usher. I had never heard of it, but now one of them was me. And it, it explained my hearing disability. I never knew why I was hard of hearing. My family never had an explanation, but it was Usher syndrome. And the type that I have, you have the hearing disability present itself when you're younger and the vision um, changes don't happen until you're a teenager. So I was kind of a classic case. But when I was diagnosed, they told me there's no treatment, there's no cure. We can't tell you how your progression will look like, how your vision will change. Everybody's very different. So that was hard to hear the diagnosis and then also not having anything that could be done and also just not understanding my path forward and what my life would look like. Being that I was about to head off to college, it was a very big adjustment in terms of my view of myself and my view of the future and what might be possible. It was hard for me to know, I guess, what I could do in my future. So at that time, I 
entered into the stage of denial. And I tell my disability journey as a story of four stages. The denial, didn't want to talk about it. When I did talk about it, I was very upset. I would say, I'm going blind. I would cry. And it was very emotionally charged. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to deal with it more than I needed to. After I finished college, I moved to New York. And that was the first decision that I made with my disability in mind. It was more empowering to make a choice to move to a city that had public transport that I knew I could always get around and to stop driving before I, I had to stop driving. I also started to meet other blind people in New York City and joined some various groups. And that helped me to have a vision of the future that was guided by their example. They showed me how they adapted in their careers. They showed me different tools that they used that I never knew about. So I started to have more hope and accept my disability. So I moved from denial to acceptance. I also started to receive services from the state and that was very helpful in terms of training and getting technology and different things for the home that could help me with living independently and safely. So after that, I the next big shift for me in my disability journey was when I decided to start using a white cane. I had a lot of resistance earlier to using a white cane because it really marks you as disabled. It stands out. I wasn't ready to use it. I was more concerned with hiding my disability and, and new situations and trying to do everything I could to plan for things like handshakes or high fives or you know, not give off any sign that something was different about me. But I, at this time in my 20s, I was struggling. I was stressed by navigating the commute home from work in the winter time when it got dark very early. And I just didn't wanna be that stressed anymore. So I opened myself up to the idea of using the cane and I said, okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna get training and I'm gonna start using this cane. It was still tough. I wasn't really ready for what does it feel like to use it and have everybody look at you when before you're anonymous in New York City. But uh, with time, with practice and with courage, little moments of courage, I got over it. I stopped caring what other people thought of me. I stopped caring about how I stood out as a blind person that also had some remaining vision because most people don't understand that blindness is a spectrum and I'm aware of that. So I know I look suspicious or odd to people when I'm using a white cane and my cell phone at the same time, but I am living my life. I am using a tool that works for me. I don't have to explain my disability to everybody else. And that's eventually what I settled into that empowering mindset. And that began my stage of self-advocacy. With the cane, I started speaking up all the time for my access needs. That muscle of self-advocacy got very strong and my life was better for it. I saw how much better it was when I could quickly explain to somebody what I needed in that moment and then receive the assistance and also have better understanding on both sides. So they would not misinterpret something that I did. 
they wouldn't think, oh, Katarina ignored me. She's rude. You know, they would say, oh, she didn't hear me because now they knew what was going on. So I was much more, I was public about my disability and talking about it very naturally and with um, just a lot of positivity. After that, I started to move into public advocacy because when my life was so great, my voice was so strong, I wasn't satisfied with it only being an impact on my life. I wanted to impact the lives of others. And that's why I started doing my public speaking and consulting and working with companies and organizations because we really need to change society. We really need to prioritize disability inclusion. And I've spent all that time on my disability journey. I'm here now and proud of my disability. I have the capacity to advocate. I have the capacity to use my story. If someone was to ask me to share my story when I was 18 years old, no way could I have done this. I wasn't ready, I wasn't there yet, but now I am. I really, really appreciate you being so open and honest about everything. And I think there's a power when we share our stories, um, which is also a big reason why storytelling is such a big part of Mind Matters when we're open about our journeys and what our experiences are, it helps people um, who are in a similar uh, boat almost. I mean, even if they don't relate to every aspect, just hearing a few bits and pieces, if it's similar to their journey, it's very validating for them and makes them feel very well seen and less alone. I, at least that's what I believe and why we started Mind Matters. So I really appreciate you taking the time to tell me and tell us everything that you just shared now. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your approach in terms of storytelling. Stories have power. And I completely agree that they make others feel seen and less alone. So one thing that I really wanted um, for us to discuss, and because I think we don't know enough about it and we need to understand it better. And that was the concept of ableism. And uh, so, and I know that the work that you do is, it's so important and it does highlight a lot about disability inclusion. So could you um, tell us a little bit about what exactly is ableism and how we can recognize it in our own lives? Yes, we could talk a whole, the whole time about ableism, it's a big one. And I am not surprised that there are many people who've never heard of the word. It's really unfortunate, but that's the truth. There are a lot of people who've never heard of it. So ableism is discrimination and bias that favors non-disabled people over disabled people. So I like to describe it as the idea that non-disabled people are more worthy or valuable than disabled people. And the whole world is set up to fit the non-disabled person's experience. Um, so when you're non-disabled and you don't have challenges getting into buildings, you don't have challenges uh, accessing an event or attending a, a digital conference. It's almost like you just have no idea 
of what the barriers are. And you might perceive that there are none. But when you hear someone like me or other disability advocates and creators talking and sharing their stories, then you realize there are experiences other than my own and they are valid and that barriers truly exist in probably almost any situation. So how can we recognize ableism? Well, the things that you can do, first of all, is listen to disabled voices and hear their stories. So for example, we have a story that happened recently, a tragedy, preventable, really upsetting loss. There is a disability advocate and Gracia Figueroa, who has a custom power wheelchair that was damaged by United Airlines in July, I believe. And the, the wheelchair is very expensive. In the articles that I've read, the, it's quoted as having a value of $30,000. It's also customized to her body. So when the chair was damaged, she had to use a replacement chair that was not suitable. And this led to injuries um, and ultimately her death. And this is so upsetting to me. I don't understand why airlines have been allowed without accountability to damage people's wheelchairs. So I was reading an article where someone said every three or four flights I take, my wheelchair gets damaged and it makes me not wanna travel. And that's ableism. So if you've taken a flight and you're not worried about an extension of your body, like your wheelchair getting damaged or how, whether you should travel at all, you know, then that's your ableism. You have privilege due to ableism. And I think everywhere we look, ableism is right in front of us. If you visit a friend's house and there are two steps going up to the house and you step right on up, well, that's not accessible for someone else. If you watch a video on TV and there are no closed captions, like an advertisement, a lot of advertisements don't have closed captions. Well, that's not accessible for someone else. When you watch award shows on TV and there's no ramp to the stage, you know, that says, okay, certain people are gonna win, but disabled people are not really welcome there as winners. When you're a company and you put together a team building exercise, and that involves throwing and catching balls. That's not accessible for me. That's not going to, I'm not gonna feel part of the team and that exercise. The ableism is all around us. And there's a lot going on that really harms disabled people, but because we are not viewed as equal and valuable in society, a lot of times our issues don't get the attention and the support that they need, but we are, there are a lot of us, over 1 billion of us are disabled worldwide. And this is completely not fair. And I think that 
it's one of the biggest human rights issues in our world. Wow, I, I, I have to be honest, I wasn't aware of a lot of these things that you just shared. Hmm. I think the work that you're doing is, it's very important and necessary and it's very, and it's educating us. And I know I'm learning right now and uh, I'm gonna make sure we keep taking steps for the same. Uh, would you, could you tell us a, like, just on that line, what could you tell us as some steps to be more inclusive and adaptive, whether it's in the workplace, social media or our personal lives? Yeah, there's so much. I'll try to give some general tips here. Definitely, if you're non-disabled, I encourage you to begin a learning journey. It's really important for you to do as much work as you can to educate yourself. So watching the documentary Crip Camp on Netflix, I taught everyone to start there. It's also available for free on YouTube if someone doesn't have Netflix. And that is an incredible account of a cross-disability rights movement and storytelling about disabled lives. It's focused on advocates in the United States, but I think anybody who watches it could get a lot of value out of it. The other place that you can learn about stories is through podcasts like this one, through disabled creators sharing their stories online, you can fill up your feed with more voices. There's so many amazing stories out there and books, but it's really important to know who is writing the stories. The reason I hesitate to promote a lot of TV and film is that often they have very harmful narratives around disability. There are very few that I recommend, but one of them that I think is great also on Netflix is a show called Special. And that a show was created by a disabled LGBTQ um, creator. So that is a great show. Um, but in terms of being more accessible, if you are an organization or if you're organizing an event, a simple thing that you can do is let everyone know what accessibility will be provided. So for example, you've already planned to have closed captions at your event. Put that on your events page, make that transparent. When you have a registration page set up, include a box where people can let you know their access needs. So you have an open-ended way for participants to request whatever they might need. And you're creating the space for that. That's a very simple thing that anyone can do when they're, uh, having any kind of like ticket-based process or registration page. Another thing that is really important and I think it's important to be consistent on is offering closed captions. If you're having a virtual event, making sure you have captions on them. If you have video on your website, do you have captions on that video? Do you have videos on social media, okay, make sure you have captions on those. And learning how to do captions well, make sure they're accurate, and are you providing the information at the same level is really another foundational thing that you can do. Um, you can also just start to reshape your 
views on disability. If you examine your views on disability and you think, oh, disability is a tragedy, or we need to find a cure, or we need to, I need to volunteer with these poor disabled people, then you have to change that narrative internally. And I think that recognizing that disability is, it just is. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad word. There are people that love their disabilities. They love themselves. They don't need pity. So I think we need solidarity. And I, whatever you're doing, learn how you can be more accessible in that thing. Because there are so many tips that I would have depending on what your function is at work or depending how you show up in your community. For example, in the United States, a lot of faith-based communities, a lot of churches are not accessible and um, can often share damaging narratives about disability like, oh, you must have sinned or that there's a reason that you have this disability. And um, that's not welcoming or supportive. So whatever you are, you can play a role and you can find out how to do better. Thank you so much for all of this. I, it's very helpful. Um, another thing like based on, like uh, when you talked about views of um, disability in a person, uh, I think this is something that I want to talk to is, uh, talk more about as well. Um, when it comes to disability, uh, I've, I've seen it personally as well on a lot of social media pages. Um, you're almost, uh, again, please, please stop me if I'm wrong. I do not want to overstep or say anything uh, that I'm not, I'm very much still understanding and uh, learning uh, as I go as well. But I have seen a lot of times a disabled person's identity seems to become just the disability and nothing after that. Is this something you've personally experienced or why do you think it happens? This is an interesting topic. I think that this is possible that it does happen, but I think it's because we are not used to telling nuanced, complex stories. And oftentimes intersectionality even gets lost. And let's look at history, for example. Frida Kahlo, a very prominent artist, feminist icon, Mexican painter, incredible, creative. She is often talked about without her disability really being included in her narrative and in her story. She was disabled. She painted paintings about disability and sharing her different traumas and experiences related to her injuries and what she was going through. So to leave out disabilities, to leave out part of who she was, but I don't think that we're very good with complexity and that needs to change. I also think that depends on who's telling the story. Um, I think that disabled people are whole people. We're interesting people, we are complex. And the more that we can honor the different aspects of 
our identity, the better understanding the world will have. Um, the other thing that could be playing into this is the inspiration narrative when non-disabled people call disabled people inspiring and we really become objects in that way, objects of inspiration and almost non-human where it's like, oh, how, if, if they can get up every morning and live and they're disabled, then I have nothing to complain about. Like these very harmful narratives there. Um, so that can be reducing a person to their disability in that moment. Uh, I'm actually really glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about a term that I've uh, recently seen a lot and I'm trying to understand it more as well. Um, it, it was a, a phrase rather, um, inspiration porn. Could you tell me a little bit about what exactly that is? Yes, for sure. It's exactly what I was speaking about. And Stella Young has an incredible TED talk on it. I highly recommend it. She's no longer with us. Her talk uh, unfortunately, the talk is an incredible legacy. So inspiration porn is this, um, any kind of story that feeds into the idea that a disabled person is this inspirational figure and also almost sometimes angelic without faults, without any character flaws that can sometimes come up so let me give you an example. In Stella's talk, she shares that when she was in high school, her, I think, I don't know if it was her community or her school, they wanted to give her an award. And her parents said, she hasn't done anything to receive this award. Like what is the, <laughs> the rationale for this award? And it was just because she was disabled. So when we're trying to, figure out if something is inspiration porn or not, a good question to ask is, would you be inspired by this person if they were not disabled? Would that still be inspiring? Are you actually focusing on their accomplishments or is it just because they're disabled? And a lot of people love to see disabled people, I guess, accomplishing over obstacles and overcoming and there's that motivational vibe. Oh, if they can do it, I can do it. But what's underneath that is a negative narrative of, and a harmful narrative about disability of that, oh, it's not possible to have a good life with a disability. Or if I was disabled, I couldn't handle it. Uh, you know, um, there's, that's a challenge. And the other thing that I don't like about any kind of inspiring narrative is that when you talk about how much someone has overcome, so say I've overcame tons of barriers to get my master's degrees and I have two graduate degrees. And, but if someone says, oh, you're so inspiring and you, know, you, you just overcame so much. Well, I actually don't want to overcome so much. I actually want the path to be easier. I want barriers to be removed. And I want accessibility to be part of the natural way that we do things. So it removes the impetus or the accountability on our society to become more accessible and have less barriers 
for all these amazing disabled people. I'm learning so much. Thank you. I will make sure to watch that TED talk myself and I will share it on all our social medias as soon as possible. I think we need to understand this more clearly. Yes, for sure. And I'm glad that we're uncovering so much today and, and that I'm able to share these resources with you. I'm really appreciative of you taking the time to do it. Is there any other misconception about disability that you think we need to bring more light to? I think the one that is important for me personally is the fact that blindness is a spectrum. It's not general to all disabilities, but I think in general, people, it would be great if people understood that blindness was a spectrum. There's many people that online have focused on accusing blind people of faking their blindness. And I think it happens in person as well. It hasn't happened to me, but I actually am remembering that people have shared that it happens to them in person as well. And that's very damaging. It really causes blind people to not want to use their canes and their mobility aids because they're afraid of the response they're gonna get from others. And that really breaks my heart because I know how much freedom the cane brings me, how much independence I feel when I have it. It really helps me because as I said earlier, I have 5% of my vision and that is a small box around my eyes, tunnel vision. I only see what I'm directly looking at. So when I use my cane, I'm sweeping the ground. I don't have to look down at the ground. I can look up. And it's a much nicer experience to not be walking around the world looking at the ground the whole time. So if I don't feel comfortable to use my cane, I'm gonna lose this positive experience of navigating the world more independently. So I really want everyone to accept others and understand that you know blindness is a spectrum. People might not behave in the way you think they are going to behave, but let them live their lives. <laughs> it's not, you're, why are you questioning? Why are you accusing people of faking their blindness? Uh, why are you bringing that negativity to their space? So that's something that I would like to see more awareness on. I actually uh, found uh, an uh, met an individual through your social media, which was Charlie Kramer. And uh, he was kind enough to come on the podcast as well. And we really delved into this uh, blindness, having a spectrum. And I learned a lot about it myself on that chat. And it's really good to dive more into it. So thank you again for sharing. Thank you. I'm glad that you were able to talk about all of that with Charlie as well. Uh, do you have any words of advice or encouragement for someone who's struggling with their own journey? If Yes, I would say if you're struggling with your own journey, don't compare yourself to people like me who I've been on my journey my whole life. It's taken me 
decades to get to where I am now. So give yourself grace, give yourself patience and love as you navigate your disability journey. You will go at your own pace. The other piece of advice that I have is to connect with disabled people and connect cross disability. I wish that I had met more disabled people earlier in my life who had different disabilities, who had cognitive disabilities, mental health conditions, different things than my own experience. Because I connected with a lot of blind people because that was the diagnosis that I was struggling with. But I didn't connect to the broader disability community until my 30s. And it's changed my life. It's so empowering. Um, there's so many resources shared. And I learned a lot more about disability in general. So if you are on your own journey, learn about disability, learn about disability history, disability rights, connect with other people in the broader community. It's very important for us to connect with each other and support, especially as we have a lot of work to do to advance equity in our society, undo ableism. So we need to come together. And that's the only way that we have made change in the past. If people stay with others who have disabilities, just like them, we're not going to make progress. So those are the things that I would recommend. And I hope that is helpful. Thank you. Uh, community can truly be so powerful. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about why it was so important for you personally to have this platform, create a platform for yourself and share your story? Because I'm Latina and I have a disability, I was looking for people like me and I didn't find too many. I didn't find too many representations of myself that I could look up to. So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to share my story so that I can be that for other people and help them to feel seen. It's really important for me to do something with my voice and to have an impact on the world. So having my platform Blindish Latina and sharing on LinkedIn as well makes me feel energized and purposeful about my days. It really does feed me. So I appreciate everybody that connects with me, all the stigma smashers. I think we really have a strong and beautiful community. And it's super important for me to raise awareness about disability, to raise awareness about intersectionality and all the different identities that we have and continue to represent. I've personally learned a lot from your platform for a long time. I was actually a follower for a while before I reached out to you. And I've uh, understood and like we've started making a lot of changes. Uh, we've uh, been we've begun transcribing all the episodes. And now we have a few volunteers that's helping out as well, because we've got almost around 50, 60 episodes that have to be transcribed. And we're also going to be having them translated. All the videos have captioning as well. Um, these are different uh, things that I've understood the importance more as I learned it through your platform. Oh, wow. I'm so glad to hear that. 
that's incredible. I know that's a lot of work. Um, so thank you for putting all these learnings into action. Thank you for telling, teaching me the importance of it. Um, I, uh, would you tell us a little bit more about your public speaking and your consulting business and the work that you do and also how we can find you? Yes. So my website is my name, com, or I have to say it in Spanish too, katarinarivera.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at blindishlatina and on LinkedIn by my name. In terms of my business, what I'm doing is public speaking and consulting with companies and organizations to advance disability awareness, inclusion, and accessibility. I offer a variety of workshops and presentations. I also have fireside chats that I do with companies and keynote speeches. It really depends on the goals of the client and what they are looking for. A lot of times I'm coming in to start up the disability conversation. Many companies have begun doing DEI work more, I guess, with uh, more budget and more vigorously since 2020. So a lot of the efforts have been focused on race, which is very important. And I come in and I add more expertise and, and just different topic as well, because disability is the only identity that every other group can have. You can have any religion and be disabled. You can be any age and be disabled. You can be any race and be disabled, any sexuality and be disabled, any gender identity. So it's connects to everything. And I'm so glad that my clients have brought me into bring that conversation to life. So there's a lot of times that I hear afterwards that people learned a lot that they never knew about these things that I had shared with them. So that's really motivating. And I appreciate the, the times that I've been able to do that. In addition to the public speaking, I have consulting and that's really about doing the change work. So now that a company is engaged, they want to be more inclusive for disability, I'm here to help them work on their policies, work on projects, review materials, do audits, and that work is very exciting as well to be able to bring that inclusion to life. Well, I'll make sure that we link your socials and your website when this episode goes live so that everyone has more a direct access to it all. Awesome, thank you. Uh, I wanna know, uh, now that you have a wider audience, has anything changed about how you show up on social media? I think the one thing that has been challenging is that sometimes I have an opinion about something and people don't agree with me. And that's challenging with a bigger audience as far as remaining authentic to who I am, remaining authentic to my values. As my audience grows, I think that another creators, I'm sure experience this as well. You can start to feel this pressure of not wanting to 
turn off your audience or lose people or you know this kind of pressure to be perfect and i i'm just here to be me i'm here to share my message and my opinions i listen to what people share with me and i'm open to learning and i think that's very important as well so i've just had to reinforce for myself that if i am sharing something that i am passionate about that i don't have to change what i am saying to please other people i can open a dialogue i can be there to listen but i'm not going to all of a sudden become a different person without strong views thank you i i really appreciate you sharing that and it's uh, i, I want to know uh, if it's okay with you has it ever been overwhelming or like have you ever felt burnt out or almost like a pressure that you have to continuously create content and always be online is this been something you've struggled with yeah that's a challenge as well it's a lot of work to create content and for a long time i was sharing monday to friday one piece like one post a day so that's five posts a week and i was maintaining that schedule for i believe 6 to 8 months without fail wow so yeah <laughs> that that is an incredible amount of work i mean i barely make it to two posts a week and the amount of work that goes into that in itself is it's quite a lot and especially you have your business as well so it's a lot of your own time that you have to take out yes it's a lot of work so i i had a moment where i couldn't do it and i that was hard for me cuz i love to be consistent and i love to keep you know pursuing and just showing up for my audience but i really couldn't do it and so i had a period of time where was I took a break and then I shared like two times or three times and then I did five a week and five a week. So it's been a little bit more variable lately. Um but as my business has grown that's been a challenge as well because my client work takes up more time and I I do push myself to always create content and try to be as consistent as possible because the platforms are unforgiving if you're not showing up so it's really quite a balance yeah the different algorithms that come into play it's it's a lot <laughs> yes but uh thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and i've honestly learned a lot and i know that i have um i have things on my to do list for the rest of the day honestly um I really appreciate you taking the time to be so open and honest and telling us everything that you shared. Um and that's basically what I wanted to talk about. Uh but before we wind up, um do you have any final thoughts or words that you want to leave for the listeners? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for the space that you've created for everything that you bring to the world and for inviting me to be here today. I think my final thought for the audience will be that disability as a part of the natural diversity of being human it's part of being human we need to treat it that way and 
remember that disabled individuals are people who deserve the same rights as everyone else. I think that's a very important reminder for us to end on. Thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to us. Of course, thank you.